0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Journey to Developer podcast. You're here with me, Deontay Chantel. Today, we have a special guest. Uh, We have Dr. Lee from the state of Georgia, correct, Dr. Lee? I am, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so we have Dr. Lee here. She is another real estate queen in this business. Dr. Lee is a author. She is a fair housing advocate like myself, and this is why we connected. So welcome to the podcast today.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm so excited.
0: (laughs) Awesome. And you're also a coach and we're going to talk about your coaching program towards the end, but I like to definitely um, bring that to everyone's attention and you know what? We might as well just go into it now. So you're a real estate coach and I'm assuming based on your new book, how to be an anti-racist real estate professional or a real estate pro. Tell us more about what motivated you to write that book and the program that you have attached to it.
1: Sure. So I have been a real estate educator, coach, trainer, corporate trainer, whatever you want to call it, for over 10 years now. And I would say maybe starting around 2016, 2017. I started making sure every time I taught a class, no matter what the topic was on, it could be randomly marketing or just something not related to Mm -hmm. fair housing. I started putting fair housing into everything I was saying because if I was on Instagram or YouTube or some social media site, I would notice that real estate professionals who I knew and I knew they didn't necessarily mean harm, they were saying and doing things that truthfully were discriminatory, whether it was discriminatory because you're Black or, you know, so race based or familial status or whatever. So I was like, okay, wait a minute. We're not talking about this enough. Fast forward to, you know, the tragic murder of George Floyd. And now all of a sudden people were like, okay, we want to hear more. So prior to um, last summer, the summer of 2020, people were fighting me. Like I remember in classes, I would say to people, I am the messenger. I didn't create these laws, right. don't key up my car. Like they were really coming hard. Like they didn't like a lot of this stuff, but this summer they, or this past summer, they became much more open to hearing about it so that sparked the the latest iteration of how to be an anti-racist real estate pro now that i was already talking about it but now right. people are actually hungry and looking for packaged uh, yes. material so it's a journey you know it's never a just one and done but it's a journey so that's
0: yeah, the short it, version. Right. I mean, I thought that was just like, as soon as I saw your profile, I don't even know how I found you, but I saw your profile. I was like, wow, she's me. <laughs> I'm her. I'm also, like, right. Like we're the same, like the way we think. Um, and I'm also a realtor in the state of New York. I also, of course, invest and develop in New Jersey, but I'm a realtor. And for the last, what, four years now, I've personally been working with individuals who were discriminated against, mm-hmm. not only for race, like race is the most common thing, right? But they're discriminated against for not having an address, meaning they're homeless, meaning they have a mental illness, meaning they have um, children. It could be anything, disabilities, anything, bad credit, like that's now discrimination, um, income, income. So I, I, I'll never forget in 2019, the end of 2019, I had to do um, my CLE renewals and they hounded in on fair housing. And I was like, oh, wow, like, OK, I know I know I was doing things uh, correctly, but I didn't realize that you we really needed that training, especially in our dialogue with people. Like I hear, like I see it all the time, even being a consumer in the real estate market, how they try to discriminate against me right off the bat because they see my name, Deontay. You know, they know their name, mine. that's a black person. but <laughs> Like right off the bat, I mean, you know, but I, I get the discrimination just off of my name. Of course, me being a black person sometimes. But as a realtor, working with individuals who were using programs such as Section 8. And New York City has so many different, great, amazing programs that helps individuals get back on their feet. I used to have landlords like, I'm not gonna take that program. I'm like, what do you mean you're not gonna take the program? I will contact HUD and get you reported like, and and they knew me, they were my friends, but they knew I wasn't playing with them either. So I got this motivation literally December of 2019 to even more enforce fair housing. I even came up with an idea. I can't tell y'all what it is yet cuz you know. But maybe you and I could collaborate later on fair housing. And then now we have COVID, right? COVID is even more of a detriment in many ways to doesn't matter the color at this point, to people who can't afford their rent, right? And if we didn't need affordable or work for houses, workforce housing before, we need it now more than ever. And even now post COVID, I see some of the laws changing for discriminatory actions for landlords. Now in New York, you can't even discriminate for evictions right now. Like before, of course, you could have if they had a filing. But right now, you can't even run their background for judgments or evictions. So I'm like, all right, New York is always setting the tone. I wonder what the rest of the world is going to do, especially once these eviction, more, more, I can't even say a word right now moratoriums are lifted, right? So it's just like COVID, I, I, I'm kind of grateful for it because it's like a reset, especially for I's mission. Not so much a race, but just overall, the fair housing, discriminatory practices and acts that have been happening for many years. No one really cared about it until George Floyd died, right? But it, like I said, it goes way beyond just race. It goes deep into literally someone rejecting someone for having Section 8, right? Or discriminating against someone that has Section 8, which I think is silly. But yeah, (laughs) I just wanted to talk about that briefly.
1: Yeah, you know, it's, fair housing is so deep um, and goes so wide. And to your point, for me, all of fair housing is so important. I focused on race this past year simply because to your point, I just felt like it was so many pieces Mm. that it would almost be like a rabbit hole. So I was like, okay, let me focus on one, but I definitely unfortunately see the discrimination that really befalls a lot of people of a lot of circumstances and it just shouldn't be. Fair housing should really be for
0: all. Yes, I agree. And, but I love, you know, I love your mission. I love what you're doing and it's necessary. It's, it's super necessary. We feel, I mean, we're in 2021, George Floyd died in 2020. Who would have thought that we needed to have a conversation about race, but now more than ever, thanks to t- thanks to technology, we see even where homeowners are being discriminated against more than ever with their appraisals, right? That has been the topic of discussion over the last year. And now, I mean, it's been happening for years. They're just getting caught, right? Just like with George Floyd dying, like you're just getting caught because it's being recorded. Right. But these are things and practices that have been going on for many moons. Recently, I had the chance to watch, of course, everybody knows The Banker. And if you don't know, go watch it. But there's another, t- there's a TV show, excuse me. Them, I believe it was called. Them, yeah, on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Even though it's a, t- it's a twisted show, a lot of it is rooted on the racism that existed in the real estate inter- industry, especially when what is that? We were ending segregation in communities and blacklisted. No, I'm sorry, Lord, can't think. Steering. Well, you can talk about it <laughs> if you want. But a lot of the discrimi- discrimination, um, systemized racism that was happening, such as steering, was identified in the show and what's the other one um redlining blockbusting right i'm like i can't think right now yeah so the show identified it, and it had this own sci-fi twist so i thought that show was just like incredible brilliant and scary at the same time <laughs> but let's talk about um like let's talk about your coaching program for a second now do you find it or even as a professional that even other Black professionals discriminate against fair housing policies?
1: So yes, short answer is yes. But the longer answer, uh, the arc of being in the United States, a lot of things, it's unconscious. right? It's things that we don't even realize that we're doing and saying, like you, for example, even mentioned with Section 8. I don't know how many people I've come across like, oh, no, I don't want Section 8. Well, we don't get to discriminate based on someone's source of income in a lot of these states. It's not across the board in every state, but most states, you can't do that. So these are things where, again, some of it's unconscious. We don't even necessarily, and I say we, meaning just the community at large, we may not even really understand the laws behind these things and then unfortunately we that are professionals in the industry I want us to have I really want fair housing to be a class that's taught and required more frequently so for some of us the last time we really took fair housing as a standalone class might have been when we got licensed many moons ago you know Mm -hmm. so this stuff isn't fresh it isn't top of mind and that's I think that's the bigger issue the more we can highlight one what the law says and two how this really affects human beings that's the piece of this we don't always think about how this comes across to the person that it's harming but the moment we start to think about that then it makes sense so yeah it's 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 people of color it's Mm -hmm. it's the marginalized so again it may be people that grew up on section eight that now that they own properties they don't want section eight because they have bad memories Mm -hmm. so
0: you know it's it's complicated it is (laughs) I mean as a investor and developer especially now like as even as a realtor like I had at the beginning of COVID or even now I still have investors that are my friends blowing my phone down do you have any section eight clients now or any programs because the programs they wasn't some of them wasn't down for it before but now they're like all right that's what i need and i'm like well you should have had it when i was offering it <laughs> should have took it when i was offering it now it's not available no but i just feel, i feel like from an investor perspective like why wouldn't you want guaranteed money from the government
1: i've always said that i had many a section eight tenants i love it like right because you still have to vet people and still review their application. I felt like that was the piece. A lot of people don't actually still review applications. You still yeah. can oh, say no to do. somebody.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, and I feel like, I mean, as a Eight landlord, I haven't had any bad experiences. Personally. Me neither. But bottom line is these programs are there to help people get back on their feet. A lot of people use it for such. Now we have programs where through section eight, they can become homeowners. And let's talk about home ownership. It looks like you're also an advocate for home ownership, specifically in demarginalized areas such as the black communities. So let's talk about that. Are you also like a HUD certified housing counselor as well? I you never
1: did do that official certification. Okay. okay. I got my license on the sale. So I'm from a real estate family. I'm second generation real estate investor, but I got my license as an agent. I was already owning, I I own different apartment buildings, but I got my license as an agent when the market was crashing back in 2008. Okay. And HUD was the thing to do, um, but it was, I guess, because the market was so bad, they still gave you referrals and let you do a lot of their deals, even if you weren't official. So I never okay. did it officially. Because, okay, okay, but I feel like I'm
0: honorary. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. Um, I feel like as long as your motives are in the guidelines, it's fine. Um, one of my partners, she started putting. She well, we'll say she does work with HUD directly. She's a, they're certified a housing counselor. Nice. And they talk greatly about, of course, home ownership and the Fair Housing Act and all that good stuff. So I think it's necessary. I just figured, let me ask because it would go greatly with your your background. Um, but what does a home ownership mean to our community, in your opinion? Yes.
1: Yeah, so um, home ownership for everyone means. Generational wealth, it Mm -hmm. means access to schools, to um wellness resources, you know, like medical hospital, Mm -hmm. it means everything. Like to me, and I know I'm biased, but real estate to me (laughs) is the hub.
0: I love I love everything (laughs) real estate, so
1: you're not yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. So yeah, we're we're a little biased, but Because I do talk to people um, who are against capitalism and home ownership, they feel is a representation of that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like no matter where you stand in this system, home ownership is still one of the biggest ways most people, again, not only build wealth for themselves, but now they create a legacy for their family. This is so important in the African American community because I know for many of us certain things are still off limits we keep talking about these glass ceilings at these companies and how, for example, black women are apparently the most. Entrepreneurial but part of it is because when we go to certain companies we're not seen, we're not heard, so we got to branch off and when you own a home you now have equity, likely, right? Right. Even despite the fact that we know appraisals are undervalued in communities of color, there's still usually a base of equity that you can use, you can work from. I know for me, I mean, that's how I built. When I first moved to Atlanta, I Mm -hmm. bought my condo and I took the equity out of my condo to buy my first apartment building. And then it just You know, it was a snowball from there. Right. So I think about that and how, you know, not all African Americans obviously is changing. Being a black person is changing where we are now starting to see families with inheritances they're able to give their kids even before they die. But we know just from a numerical standpoint, our numbers, our wealth, I think it's something, it's like less than 10% compared to our white counterparts and friends. So that's, that's a big financial wealth gap, big gap. And again, homeownership to me is the equalizer. It becomes the best way to level that playing field. It's an investment that, again, for many of us, it's the only one that is actually appreciating. You know, we have a lot of things that depreciate, but that's one of the right. few things that's appreciating.
0: So I agree. I agree a thousand percent. Now let's actually talk about you as an investor, because I didn't know that until you just mentioned it. So, like you said, you were Over able. To- I, 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 I've been
1: listening to your podcast. I've heard since we connected. I've been listening
0: to them. So. I hope you like it. Um, Love it. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's is me. Like I. And I'll probably edit this part out because we just, yeah, we just rambling now, but it's a great way for me to honor God and show my journey and show how I developed as a person while on my journey to becoming this big renowned real estate developer that God said I was going to be, it. you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I have to talk about my spiritual journey. I have to talk about the Bible. Of course, everybody's not going to be a Bible believer. But I still believe that there's some great attributes that the Bible does carry and hold. And that, again, has transformed and developed me personally. So that's how I came up with the brand. So I'm glad that you like it. But as as an investor, I love that you mentioned that you were able to buy a a condo in a progressive market such as Atlanta. I actually lived in Atlanta briefly as a child. And the Atlanta that I grew up in for a year and a half. It's not the Atlanta now, <laughs> it's totally different. Um, now Atlanta is literally like a DC or a New York city. So whoever did buy in Atlanta before Atlanta became Atlanta, they their asset appreciated tons and tons of money. So I love that you took something as simple as a condo, took the equity out of that and then you reinvested that money. You didn't blow it, you had a plan. So you reinvested your equity and proceeds in an apartment building. And from there, you said that your portfolio has, I don't even know, I'm sure it has grown tremendously since doing that, correct?
1: Absolutely. And I don't want to take credit. I, again, I'm second oh, generation. Right. So my dad was like, and not just my dad, really, most of my friends and family were like, wait a minute, you're from a real estate investment family. What are you doing in Atlanta not buying up stuff? So mm-hmm. They got on my back and I had only only been in Atlanta for probably a year. I've been here now for 20 years. They were riding my back. My dad, I mean, you would have thought I had lived here for 50 years and didn't invest. I was like, wait a minute. It's not even been a full year. Can I, can (laughs) I get my bearings? (laughs) Can I know which Peachtree Street is Peachtree? You know, so, but, but yeah, no, they pushed me and I'm glad they did because, you know, at that point I was fresh out of college. So I was probably a little scared to do right. it on my own. Even though I grew up in a family, it was never me on my own. But you know, once you do it once, just like any part of real estate, once you buy a house once, once you start investing once, once <laughs> you even become a real estate professional, you get, you get a bug. Yeah. It's
0: addictive. <laughs> it is. I, it's sad because now it's like I can't even turn my brain off from real estate, and I get people trying to get me to diversify my assets, and I'm like, yeah, I just know with real estate, it's kind of a guarantee, <laughs> and I don't have to be on a computer punching number, you know, especially with stocks. Like I don't have time for it, but of course, stocks is a long term thing. But real estate, um, everything real estate, I don't care if it's even funding someone's project. Like all things real estate, I. I definitely tried to monetize it. <laughs> so that's great. that's a blessing. You grew up in a real estate family. It's so funny. I don't know if you heard it on the podcast. My dad was actually an investor.
1: I'm telling you, I was like,
0: we're twins. This yes. is my long lost sister. <laughs> right. The only difference is, unfortunately, he didn't raise me. That's the only difference. So I, I, I don't know. Like God had, I'm telling you, God's hand was all over it because- and I'll probably, yeah, I'm about to talk about it now since you probably didn't hear that part. I wind up getting into real estate. I always loved it. I always liked the idea of it. I love properties and looking at luxury apartments in New York City. But I had a friend who I met while I was trying to become a model or while I was modeling, we'll say in New York City. And she started doing real estate. So she went from being this video vixen to being a real estate agent. And I was 21 graduating and I hated my job now. I was supposed to be a lawyer, so I do have a paralegal certification, a political science degree, so like I said, we are, are a lot in common in many different ways, because you couldn't tell me I wasn't going to be a lawyer, I still might be a lawyer, but just now to help policies dealing with real estate and fair housing, so that's another story. Anyway, this young lady got sore of fit that she got me into real estate, and I went through a period where I was almost homeless. Like this girl let me live with her. Like she really was a friend to me. And when it came down to it, I hated working at AT AT&T, even though they put me through college. She was like, since you have the sales experience, try real estate. You can do your own schedule. And that's how I got into real estate as an agent. I wasn't even really thinking about it. Um, I did it for money because that's what I needed at the time. And for freedom, like I needed to stop working at nine to five. Actually, it wasn't even nine to five. I was working like 10 hours a day. 50 hour weeks. It was just a lot. So make a long story short, I became an agent. And then I didn't really like the hustle because <laughs> it was like car sales. I used my legal background to become a real estate paralegal. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to law school, blah, blah, blah. Wind up not going to law school. Wind up getting into investing in real estate while being a paralegal. because so I started seeing these investors make these checks and these wholesalers make these checks. And then I became a wholesaler. And then while wholesaling, I met the right people and became a developer. So my story is like, I had to go all the way around the block (laughs) to get there, but I got there. And I needed that. Like I feel like like my father, we're closer now, but I probably wouldn't have appreciated it if he would have just been like, here you go. I probably just would have became a lawyer, right? If I had his backing. But now all of these fair housing acts and me being a realtor seeing how people get discriminated on the the lending side and the even rental side it has motivated me and focused my brain on okay if you do go to law school what like how can you make an impact through real estate but in the legal field as well how can you you how can you use your gift and your knowledge to really make an impact outside of just making money like, what are you gonna do for the people? So I feel like once I do get a little bit more stable, cause right now I'm on go, like I'm trying to rebuild communities, but once I get a little bit more stable and I'm only 32, I am gonna go get my law degree. And now that everything's online, <laughs> I can do it. Like COVID was like, I'm telling you a blessing cause all of the law schools went to virtual. So especially the school I want to go through, I'm like, great, awesome, let's do it. But with that being said, I'll be able to make more of an impact because I really know the business in and out. So my journey doesn't just end at developer, excuse me, doesn't just end at developer. Ultimately, I do believe it's going to end with me having my JD and I'm just excited and I'm excited to even off the air, you know, continue to build, you know, this, uh, sisterhood and everything that you offer so this is really you know a great honor to be sitting here with you
1: you too i just love your journey and your story yes i did hear in the podcast you mentioned just how you basically followed in a sense in your dad's footsteps without knowing him so i do see that as just like a god ordained thing that's just amazing to me so love yes. it i love to hear even the
0: full part of your journey yeah it's literally got, I could only give him credit (laughs) and the people that he sent and orchestrated. So you're, I'm assuming you're still in the Atlanta or Georgia area, right? I am. Right. So you, you've seen yourself personally, how, again, that market has progressed. And that's the key of being a developer, investor, professional, whatever, just knowing where the market and the community is going as a whole. And I want to just step back into your brand your program who do you think and I, if we haven't said this already who is this program for
1: so the how to be an anti-racist
0: yeah who um, do you th- like say pro. oh yeah right pro do you think any is is it just for real estate agents or all professionals
1: so really I did purposefully make that real estate pro very generic because okay. I have so many mortgage people, so many other of our vendors reach yeah. out and they're like, "Oh, wait a minute. What? Tell me more about that. Wait, what's happening? Oh, I didn't realize that." So I I really do see it as being encompassing our whole industry because This is a problem. And again, I think it's more of a not this, not to say we don't have malicious people that don't care about other people. We've got those, but this, that's not who this is for. This is for the people that are like, I didn't know and I want to do better. So please help me. So this is for any and all that touch the real estate industry in any way. So because unfortunately, discrimination, again, it's, it is systemic, it is institutionalized. It's a thread through so many of these industries.
0: I agree, especially um, with even the lending practices. And I wanna say 2019, cause this was when a lot of things started transpiring for me with networking. Even as a developer, I had to come, like the idea was great. All right, start rebuilding your communities but I didn't know that there were banks that didn't want to lend the money to the people in the community. I'm like, we're still doing that. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't realize it. Now, you know, you have all these CRA uh, credits and banks trying to give money away, but it just started happening. Now you see that, right? 2020. Oh well, 2020 changed a lot. Again, George Floyd. But 2019, I had to beg people to back me as a sponsor for my home bills, right. right? Like, I'm, I'm telling you, like, it wasn't that easy. So I, I just fast forward one year later, it was like, oh, wow. So in many ways, and unfortunately, George Floyd's death was the camel that broke, the straw that broke the camel's back right. in all platforms and in our society. And it's, it's so interesting. His story, his story resonates so deeply with me because I had a, a boyfriend at the time when I was dating him who actually was killed by the police when I was 20, no, 19, 19. And that was actually supposed to be like that whole, that would happen to him. And he was a cop. That's the crazy part. Wow. Yeah. So like my story gets gets real interesting. He was a cop that was killed by police off duty. They didn't know he was a cop, but it's the same story over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And of course that wasn't recorded but you know George Floyd's was so that's why it's an issue. Even in 2016 when we had the other killings on tape, you know I just remember being a paralegal at that time, I just started actually taking action as a wholesaler. and I just remember like the voices in the in the job or the office like like the, like basically saying like oh he deserved it because he was smoking or buying stuff, selling cigarettes, whatever the person was doing, selling CDs, I can't remember. I was just like, wow, these are the ideas of people, right? This is a human life that was taken for nothing. So that just motivated me even more to like get out of those work environments where these people are really showing me who they are, what they think about another Black person who works for, who, that could have been me, right? Right. So I just thought that like, you know, that whole George Floyd situation, it resonated with me in many different ways. Unfortunately, I felt numb to it because I've I've seen a lot transpire from 2008 when my boyfriend at the time died to 2020. So it was like, wow, how many more people we have to lose? But I think that one really changed everything and it's died down a lot. I think we had like two more after him, right? But I don't know. I feel like this summer we're okay. We're in, by the grace of God, I'm praying over our old black men and we're in the clear. But anyway, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. No, no, no. <laughs> it's important. I, I'm sorry, what you say?
1: No, it's very important. It all really changed so much to the point where again, black people have seen it, right? But the fact that it took a, a global stage.
0: Right, you know, yeah. 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 And I would say, as a real estate coach, what else are you teaching? Are you teaching? Mm -hmm.
1: So again, are we fair housing into everything? No matter how random it may seem, like how does this fit? I've had people say that, like, how come? I don't care. I'm going to always talk about that because again, we just need more exposure on that. But. Another one of my favorite topics, like I said, I got started on the sales side of real estate during the great recession back in 2008. And for me, when I got started, I will never forget how my brokers at the time were like, oh, you need to door knock, you need to cold call. It wasn't working because the market was collapsing. And so it's a layer. And I'm a black woman, so to door knock, and I live in the suburbs of Atlanta. To door mm-hmm. knock in Dunwoody, Alpharetta, I literally, I will never forget. One man said to me, and I was so appreciative. He was white, and he said, "You, you seem nice enough, but you should not door knock out here. I would hate for someone to mistake you as a criminal." And even right now, if, if, oh, if wow. anybody looking at this, I'm a girly girl. I've got on a dress. I always wear dresses, and right. I'm like. I wouldn't hear to fly. Come on, right. but I heard what he said, and this was to your point way before you know two thousand and eight. We barely the iPhone. I think just came out like the year before, so we were flip phones, and it was not going to be recorded. So I wasn't going to have proof that I was in the wrong, right, or, or not in the wrong. Excuse me, if something were to happen. So I took it, but with that time, I realized okay. So, there's got to be a way for us to grow our business without people pigeonholing us and putting us in this cookie cutter mode. And right. that was kind of the start of me birthing what I call now profit with your personality. So, I was able to go back to school. I got my doctorate. I studied the top, some of the top 1,000 agents in the nation. And we were able to extract. And when I say top, uh, these are people hitting 20 million and more in sales volume without a team. So of okay. course, if you got 20 agents working for you and you're hitting 20 million, sure, doable. But we wanted to study people that either were completely solopreneurs, or maybe at most had like their spouse or child mm-hmm. doing some things for them. So really, again they're solopreneurs, but we were able to come out of that and identify several key things. One, including, you know, all personalities can actually sell, you know, it's always been fake news that, oh, if you're introverted, you're not going to really do well in sales, at least real estate sales. Now it's different for other industries, but in this industry, all personalities can sell. And we really were able to determine based off of your personality, based on the disc profile Mm -hmm. There are certain things that each personality should be doing, whether the market is a seller's market, buyer's market, or anything in between. And we've watched it work from the early time of right after the recession, all the way through this pandemic, even though it's not technically over, but we've seen the success again and again. So it's, it's one of my favorite Things to talk about beyond fair housing that
0: awesome I, is, and I, I believe you have a book correct
1: i do i do it's, called, it's the same title the class and the book profit with your personality so yeah, it's it's awesome. something that still strikes a chord i was just speaking with someone yesterday who she's been an agent for 30 years and wow. we were talking about the different again these principles out of this and she's like I wish I had known this. And that was exactly how I felt getting started in real estate. I wish someone had told me I didn't have to door knock and do certain things. Not to say they don't work because they do, but not right. for everyone.
0: Yeah, so. I agree. Um, first of all, I'm going to go buy the book support. Yeah. Because I'm, <laughs> Yeah, of course. I'm also an introvert. I'm not too much a, I don't even like to call myself a realtor. Because I only do it when I feel like doing it. But yeah. but I know it would be a great tool for other, because I always, people always come to me, um, especially in my market. How do I get started? Where do I get started? Oh, I want to get started as a realtor. And and I'm like, okay. And some of them do have different personalities. Believe it or not, I'm an introvert. You wouldn't know that, (laughs) but I am, or maybe I'm in the middle, but either way you do have to have, you have to use what works for you. And would door knocking work for me? It probably wouldn't either. However, I also am a hustler too. So like, you know, I'm in the middle. Like I do, I do appreciate money. So I don't mind going out there getting it. But starting out as an agent in New York City, I was not door knocking. And that's why I wasn't able to like make the money compared to others. So thank God for the internet. And I'm sure you have a lot of great things in your book that I could probably even use now in any aspects. I'm going to go support And I encourage everybody listening to go support as well. And I saw another book. You might as well just tell us about all your books.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So now this year, how to be an anti-racist real estate pro. That was my fourth book. Okay. Uh, So there's profit with your personality. I am a co-author of another book called resilient real estate with women. I wrote one of the chapters. We all um, wrote different chapters and it's women from all over North America. So Canada, U.S. And it was pretty cool. We we wrote this through the pandemic. So nice. again, the resiliency talks about really right now what's going on. Uh, and then the, the third, fourth book, excuse me, is Plan to Win. That was the very first book I did. Plan to Win is a workbook and it was more for new agents. Again, more of a workbook on how to get started. The only thing people tell me they still like it in 2021, but I will say when I wrote that back in I think 2014, okay. Um, I focused a lot on social media in that, which I try to use evergreen topics that don't necessarily get old, but still social media has really changed and evolved. Yeah. So yeah, I probably need to do a revision. I mean
0: <laughs> but, I- But sure, it has a lot of substance. Everyone should definitely go check it out. And we're going to ask you to tell everybody how they can get in contact with you. How can they sign up for their program? I'm sure we're going to add that to the bottom of this once it is aired. But let everybody know how to get in contact with you and how to work with you
1: sure so everything for me is learn with dr league and that's on instagram facebook youtube and if you throw a .com on the end that's my website so learn with dr Lee. l-e-e
0: awesome 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 and any last tips on how to be an anti-racist real estate pro so any tips last minute tips on that
1: Yeah, the main thing that I'm asking people to do, particularly those that are hearing different things, like I just posted on Instagram today, and I know this is going to air later, but I just posted today that in the news, within the last 24 hours, there was another Black homeowner in California, in the Bay Area, who found out her home was under appraised by four hundred and I think it was $96,000. Like half a mil, half a mm. million dollars. So every time I do these posts on Instagram and Facebook, people are always like, oh, I didn't know this was still happening. White, Black, and everybody in between. So I have been challenging people that say things like that to me, set up for free on Google alerts, just set up Google alerts, you can Google, Google alerts, and okay. type in fair housing and set up an alert so you see it every single day. That's all I'm doing. And that's how I'm keeping up with all of this stuff. And a lot of people um, who maybe feel like fair housing, oh, it's law, it's being achieved by everyone. You'll see, it's a lot of people that are experiencing uh, discrimination every single day in housing. So. That's just a quick tip. Set up Google alerts.
0: <laughs> I think that thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that tip. No, I think that's incredible. We need to see it dead in our face in many cases cuz no it's like no one would believe it. So I, I do I love that God is exposing people <laughs> that are not doing right by his people, right? And this will help make a change. Do you have any predictions? for what's to come in fair housing, especially post COVID, and even with our market, what do you what are your predictions with those two? Yes.
1: Yeah, so one thing, another new piece of news that just came out, I think within the last week, was that the federal government HUD is giving like 19 million to different organizations that want to again pursue fair housing and they want to police it more so i mm. think yeah i love that i think we're going to see even more unfortunately of these stories come out but you said this point earlier it's not that there's an increase in the stories it's just that there is now more exposure people yeah. are getting caught and yeah. i think that's actually a good thing we need more people to get caught yeah. so i think the more people get caught the more likely it's actually gonna decrease incidents because you, you won't be able to hide anymore, right? So I'm looking forward to, unfortunately, the uptick creating a more equitable housing market. That's what yes. I really feel like will happen. Yeah. Uh, and then as far as the market, you know, I, <laughs> I'm definitely a bel- big believer in the market being cyclical. So we're already starting to see just based off of the numbers from NAR, the last month was the first month in maybe about eight or nine months that things are actually slightly, I think it was only
0: 1%, but oh, it was slowing down. It was slowing down. That's like not huge in this market. It's like, hmm. but. Well, you're, so my market is very tricky. We're in, we're, I'm a realtor in a New York market where we got yeah. slammed first right i have a lot of sellers looking leave they're they're not even looking they're gone they're leaving their house behind they're going to florida they're going to atlanta area so our market i didn't really see what everybody was talking about like i had like you know maybe 100 people per house showing up not at the same time but at two different or three different um open houses but in New Jersey, where I live, you have people lined up, wrapped around the corner, trying to get in the house. I didn't see that, but it's really the New Yorkers going to Jersey. <laughs> right,
1: right, right. So it was a
0: different market, so I don't know. We'll see. I, I, yeah, I do. I did think that they weren't gonna back up the homeowners, but I think they will. The landlords. I see a lot of grant programs in New Jersey and New York where they're paying rents. I do feel like you and I, being advocates, we need, you definitely, you just mentioned it, definitely tap into those programs that HUD is willing to allocate to expose more people. And we gotta figure out a solution, right? So I think both of us were in a solution-based mindset and ultimately is gonna impact our people or all people, not gonna just say our people, but all people um, that need the assistance. So. I just commend you. You're incredible. We're going to talk more. You? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. When I come back to Atlanta, we have to link up. I was just there. And if you're in New York or New Jersey, feel free to reach out to me as well. But we will be in touch and God bless. This was great.
1: Thanks for having me. You're the best. Yeah, I, I definitely, again, I'm, I'm super excited uh, to know as many people as possible that are thinking about how we can make the world and particularly real estate more equitable. So yes. I'm so glad we get to connect.
0: Awesome.